This is Emmanuel God with us, the radio ministry of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Twin Falls, Idaho. We are here for service, but we dare not fall into the line of thought that says, we are doing a service for God, because He doesn't need anything that we have to offer. We are here to receive from God the service of His Word, the announcement of the forgiveness of our sins. Today, the wonderful confrontation with the body and blood of Jesus in the sacrament, and the inspiration we gain just from being here at all. All of those are services that God offers to us. And we begin our service today with the singing of Seek ye first the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us then confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Undeserving as we are, God has given us the gift of his Son and the gift of faith in that Son, so that his sacrifice and pay the debt that our sin owns. Your sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake because God loves you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our epistle reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the first letter in the 12th chapter beginning at the first verse. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. 
All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson comes from St. Luke, the 19th chapter. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the gospel of the Lord. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength, you are our Redeemer. Amen. When Pastor Settlemeyer asked me to fill in for these last three weeks in August, A, I said yes way too soon. B, he said, well, you could do whatever you want. A very dangerous thing to say to a retired preacher. But I took him up on it. I have chosen for the sermons for all three weeks a section from St. Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 29. And if you see the uh, sermon title printed in the bulletin, there's an underline under anger. That's kind of the theme today. In the upcoming weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about authority in action. The reason I wanted to do this is that in my weekly Sunday excursions out to Christ Lutheran in Wendell, we use a different lectionary than what you use here at Emmanuel. And so since, pretty much since Easter time, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I honor Matthew as a Gospel writer, just like any other Gospel writer, but I've often kind of built my attitudes around the fact that Matthew, the tax collector, was a Jewish convert to Christianity, and he wrote his gospel to show other Jews that Christ was indeed the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. So Matthew is full of Old Testament references and explanations how Jesus is the fulfillment of that description of the Messiah. And I thought, that's a lofty goal, and good for Matthew, that's what he does. But as I've preached on Matthew for these last months, I realized Matthew was a very, very astute theologian. In his Jew-to-Jewish 
nation speech, sometimes I overlook the kind of deep and insightful theology and sometimes surprising theology that Matthew taught. But as I go through sections of Matthew, I said, that's worth talking about. That's why I've chosen this series of sermons based on one little section, 10 verses from the middle of the book of Matthew. Anger. Anger. Have you ever been angry? I have. I play golf. Don laughs. I am angry at me for about three and a half hours almost every day because I play golf. Now you can get, I've been angry at others, especially these days. I turn on the television. Whether they're talking current events, politics, uh, the, uh, the outlook for the future, it takes me but seconds to get angry no matter what they're talking about because somebody says something that angers me. And I, I don't feel terribly guilty about feeling anger at that stuff. I kind of think that's appropriate. Well, I wonder if that's the truth. Is anger, anger itself, sinful? I tried to remember back when I was a kid at Ebenezer Lutheran School and going through confirmation at Ebenezer. Did they teach me about anger? And I think they did. And I think that my pastors and teachers and probably my parents too probably wanted me to feel like anger is a sin. You don't want to be angry. Don't ever be angry. That's wrong. I'm not 100% sure I agree with that anymore. Is there such a thing as righteous anger? Or is it all bad? Well, when anger occurs, that's when our sinful and unclean nature has the option to misuse that anger and lead us to do things that otherwise we would never do. Somebody makes you angry enough, you strike back at them. It wasn't the anger that caused you to do that. It was your bad nature, your bad decision that took anger, which is kind of out of your control, and instead you used your control to hurt someone, or at least try to. In my counseling here at Emmanuel for many years, a lot of different married couples, I came up with a theory that I've not heard other people say, but I'm convinced it's true, that anger is like a drug, and it's maybe the most dangerous drug that we're ever going to encounter. Because anger, if you get angry enough, you can externalize everything. You don't, you don't take the blame for anything when you're angry. It's always him or her or them. Anger has that drug-like effect on us. And then if we are fully justified in our own righteous anger, then we don't have to, we don't have to take any responsibility for what we do next. It's always directed at them. And that anger can lead to horrible acts. But it's not the anger that does those acts. It's the angry person. On the other side, can anger be positive? In a sinful world, 
We live in a tough and sinful neighborhood, all of us. In a sinful world, can things happen, do things happen, that ought to generate anger in the people of God? Is anger sometimes absolutely appropriate? Righteous anger. Well, here's another question. Please don't answer this out loud because I'd have to probably tell you you're wrong. Did Jesus get angry? Let me read you the first few verses that I've chosen from Matthew 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. You need to know that Tyre and Sidon are coastal cities in Phoenicia. They were not Jewish cities. They were pagan cities. And Jesus says, you two upstanding towns in Israel, you cannot claim any superiority over them because you ignored the miracles that were performed in you. But I tell you, Jesus continues, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, at that time, was the headquarters city for Jesus and the disciples. They kind of centered at Peter's house and spread out from there. And then whenever they got back together, it was in Capernaum. So it was the home base. But he speaks of Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, Old Testament, long gone, destroyed Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, you can read these words, but I can't find a way to read them without a touch of anger in my voice. Because I think that's what Jesus was saying. He came with a message. The miracles were not the message, but they were proof that you ought to listen to this guy. You ought to listen to these words. You ought to listen to this message. This miracle is not to save you, but it is to open your ears so that talk of salvation might get into your skull. But these places didn't. And Jesus was righteously angry. Now, the question with anger, again, is not how you feel when anger washes over you, but what you, do with, what you do with it then. This is Jesus, fully God, but more importantly in this instance, fully man, subject to the same kind of emotional fluctuations that you and I are subject to. He now responds, I think, with, a, with anger, towards the places that simply have rejected him, rejected his person, rejected his mission, rejected his words. Now he goes on much more calmly in the next verses. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, 
and Lord of earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Why are some saved and some not? Did God want to sentence people to hell, or did people insist that their natural destination, which we've already confessed today, is hell, because we are sinful and unclean by nature, did God want everybody to go there? Just some people? Are, are people making that choice? Did Jesus waste his time in Chorazim and Bethsaida, Tyre and Sidon? No. It is simply that God has come with messages of rescue, but the wise and learned don't hear the message. Now why is that? I think that's something that's appropriate for us to consider in these days. Because while many say, I don't need Jesus, we do. How are we blessed to be the little children to whom is revealed this wonderful gospel truth, while for other people, that truth is hidden from them? Well, Jesus kind of explains. And in explaining how God's system works, he also explains the source of his anger. The wise and learned are so sure of their wisdom and their learning that their heads are full of their own opinions, their own conclusions, their own attitudes. And it's like a glass that's completely filled. You can't pour anything else in there. It just won't fit. The wise and learned are so sure that they've got it all nailed down that they cannot hear the messages of law and the wonderful saving message of the gospel. In our day, you can look around and you can start picking out things that have become the gods of the wise and learned. None of these things are wrong in themselves until they become exclusionary of everything else. The great God of science. When all of a sudden science answers all questions, and even science doesn't claim to have all the answers, or even claim that their answers today are necessarily going to be the right answers tomorrow. But for some people, science so fills their minds that they can't hear the word of God. Political philosophies. Sometimes, they've, even though they may have led entire nations to rack and ruin, that philosophy doesn't die, and new people pick it up, and their heads are so full of that, they can't hear the word of God. Social utopian dreams of what might be someday, which takes no account of, well, look at the problems we've got to deal with right now, here, today. That's another problem that the wise and learned face. And finally, God has a patience limit, it seems. Finally, he says, okay, you haven't listened, you haven't listened again, you haven't listened time after time. Finally, I'm not going to let you listen. I'm going to hide these things from you. You are so wrapped up in your own thoughts, in your own human-generated ideas, that the idea of a loving God who deserves to punish you but wants to love you and wants to love you through Jesus Christ, if you will not accept that idea, I'm going to just hide it from you from now on. So go ahead and be happy. 
Go back and worship your own false gods because I'm done with you. I've tried. That's what Jesus gets angry about. In his love, he would have all men to be saved. And some men just refused. And that made Jesus angry. But he didn't use that anger to punish them because they'd already chosen their own most horrible punishment. Instead, Jesus loved them and carried out his mission, knowing what was in front of him. He put himself in their hands where they mocked him and ridiculed him and tortured him and convicted him and killed him because that's what he was sent to do. He was true man, which made that an amazing accomplishment on his part, but he was true God. And he realized, if any are to be saved, I must complete the message that my, the mission that my Father has sent me to accomplish. But there are little children. All of us are little children at one point. No matter how smart we are, no matter how learned we are, there comes a moment when by the power of the Holy Spirit, working through the law, we suddenly realize I thought I was such big stuff, but I am lost. I am condemned. I am condemned eternally because I am a sinner. The law has convinced me of that. Now what do I do? Well, at that moment, the gospel comes and lifts us from our knees, pulls us out of that despair and says, you're right, you did something that requires God's wrath and punishment. He is going to deliver that wrath and punishment, but not on you. He's going to give it to his son. He is going to take the sins of the world on his shoulders and pay for them. And you, little children, who now have had your minds empty so that you can receive this wonderful message of God, you will be saved. We are the little children who are taught by God's law and then who are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we use the phrase, children of God, it means so much more. Matthew's taught me that. It means so much more than just a, a simple way to designate us as little and insignificant to God. We are the children of God. We have been emptied so that he might fill us with the wonderful news of his grace. That is a wonderful gift. You, children of God, should celebrate that joy, and you should share it. Amen. As people who have received the wonderful gift of God's grace, it is incumbent upon us that the world know who we are and how we have been changed, how we have been emptied and filled with God's grace. And one of the ways we can do that is to remind ourselves what we believe, and to say it aloud so that the world might hear. We confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. 
He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father of mercies, God of all comfort, our only help in time of need, look with favor upon your servants and all others who suffer weakness of body. Assure them of your mercy, deliver them from the temptations of the evil one, and give them patience and comfort in the midst of their illness. If it please you, Lord, restore them to health, or give them grace to accept their tribulation with courage and with hope through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of loved ones in this life, and we ask that you comfort us on the occasion of their loss. We're figures of love and grace, and service to those around them. And now that they have gone to be with you, comfort us, Lord, in our loss and our grief, and allow us to keep their memories alive until that time when we meet them again in heaven. Lord Jesus, your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for another year of married life together. Open their hearts always to receive more of your love, so that their love for one another may never grow weary but may instead deepen and grow through every joy and every sorrow they share. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And this prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving for the blessings that God has bestowed upon us for the past 50 years, the greatest of which is that we and our children and grandchildren have all been saved by Jesus, our Savior. And now, Lord, as your faithful people, as people who need a way to know how we should live as your children, you have given us a prayer, oft repeated. Make it come alive in our hearts as we hear you describe the kind of people you would have us be as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Precious Lord, we thank you for this gift, for this service, for this miraculous meal where we encounter the very body and blood sacrificed for our sinful debt. Lord, may this gift strengthen and preserve us in true faith from this day forward until eternal life. Amen. And now may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord look upon us with his favor and give us his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel God With Us, the radio ministry of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Twin Falls, Idaho. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.